Welcome to Tanuki Talks, where we talk with entrepreneurs about their journey. I'm Dan Schulz, and I'm joined, as always, by Eric Skiff and Dave Renz, Tanuki Labs co-founders. And today, we're speaking with Josh Miller, founder of Hadley, an app that helps you find the best 529 plan for you and to contribute to yours and others. But really, it's so much more. So let's get right to it. We are super excited to be speaking today with Josh Miller, the founder of Hadley. It's an amazing application in the financial services and I'd say financial services and education space that we've been working with for quite some time now. And Josh, I love to have everybody start out with just a little bit of who you are and how you got to, well, in your case, Hadley. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Thanks, Dan. My name is Yosh. I am the founder and CEO of Hadley, and I am building this app called Hadley, as you mentioned. And it should be important to note that Hadley is also the name of my niece. And I was working in corporate America, and I worked for these bosses where I solved their hard problems, our hard problems every day. And there was one question that I couldn't figure out for my family, which was, how do I save for school? Like, How do I send money to someone I care about to their future? When I saw how to do it and how few people knew how to go about doing it, if I only did it for just my family, I felt like that wasn't right. So I dug more into it and leaned more into it. And then I wanted to be able to give everyone the same information, but not just information, but the actual tool to save for each other's or their own future in education and retirement. Yosh, that's uh, an admirable goal for sure. And like, you know, being a, a user and clearly quite involved with, with Hadley all along the way, it's like I, I can completely see how you're well on your way to helping people with that goal. And continuing down the thinking about your path here, I think one thing that's helpful for a lot of folks, particularly starting out in their entrepreneurial journeys, is understanding a little bit of the why uh, that kind of and, and the how that brings people on that path. And you, you mentioned you were solving other people's hard problems and looking to solve some that were more personal to you. But like thinking more broadly about jumping into entrepreneurship, right, from having like a great career path in media and whatever other industries that, that you've been working in. Maybe you could speak a little bit about like what is it about entrepreneurship that kind of kicked you out of that corporate rut, so to speak, and really made you want to pursue, you know, obviously seeing your family had a problem, but more broadly, like what is it about entrepreneurship that excites you and made you want to go down that path? Sure. Well, first, I wouldn't say I was in a corporate rut. I had the best job. I loved working in my role. I was a strategy executive reporting to two CEOs who I liked. I got to travel to activate really cool partnerships in media and entertainment. So I liked what I was doing in corporate America. I started as a management consultant. And maybe this is something more for a therapy session. But I never viewed myself ever as an entrepreneur or a founder. I always aspired to be the chief of staff to a CEO. So the thing that sparked me to make this app to run this business is that I saw in maybe two milliseconds the future I wanted to see. And 
that feature was everyone didn't have to spend more than a minute researching the best way to save for school, which turned out, by the way, they're called 529 accounts. We'll get into it the nitty gritty later, but these are 529 plans. And if you ask anyone on the street, they'll say, oh yeah, it's the college saving plans for kids. And that's just not right. A 529 account is basically a Roth that any American, regardless of income, can open up. And you can use this money that grows compound and tax-free, not just for college, but also for retirement. You could put money through a 529 into your Roth, regardless of income or age. And the other big ticket items that this big 529 account can cover, in addition to college tuition, is private K through 12, all the way to grad school, but also student loan repayments and healthcare related to your disabilities and assistive technology related to your disabilities. And then of course, your retirement. So when I saw how useful these were for everyone and how few people actually knew of them, they were mostly and are mostly used by the top 5% riches. And like I said, two milliseconds, I saw a future where people could quickly for free match to their best rated plan because this market, by the way, is massive. Americans can pick up a 529, whether it's Fidelity or T. Rowe Price or Vanguard. You just have to know how to evaluate, which is the better rated, lower cost plans. A lot of these providers take advantage of the fact that everyday Americans have no idea how to navigate the space and or evaluate their options. So they often get duped into enrolling in a plan that has high fees, a low rating, a plan that maybe your own advisor wouldn't even put their own families in. So what moves me into entrepreneurship is that I didn't see anyone else doing the way that I thought it should be done, that everyone for free should just have the knowledge and access to enroll in their the best rated plan that was the lowest cost so that they themselves can start funding their own and other people's education and retirement goals, these big ticket items. So because no one else was doing it, and fortunately, I had a really strong understanding of reading the policy, the state and federal policy, which, by the way, is so confusing and complex. I wanted to make it work for everyone. And if it's not going to be you who, who does that, then who is? So I just kept leaning more and more into it. And just my own approach was so different from everything else. And that's how and why I call myself the accidental founder. There's a lot of broccoli eating that comes with being an entrepreneur. And I'm fine to eat that broccoli because when I see every day that there's a new account sign up for, with someone across the country, every day there's one person at least that signs up on Hadley. They're sometimes in Kentucky or Texas. Yesterday was Oregon. So it makes me super proud to be able to provide something that I know everyone can make use of. That's awesome. We like to share as much advice as we can with other first-time founders. And you know, I love the idea of the sort of accidental founder and learning that you need to just do that hard work of eating your vegetables and things like that. One of the pieces of being a founder, especially when you're starting a startup, is figuring out how you're going to run it. How are you going to finance it? I mean, some folks have financing sort of built in, either from a previous job or family money or another business. Your journey has really been figuring this all out from scratch. I was curious, what advice do you have for other founders that are considering making that leap to build something that calls to them? Yeah, that's a great question. and. I will tell you, I put the first $30,000 of Hadley was my money on, on a, the worst safe terms. It's on an uncapped safe, meaning 
I'm my $30,000, which was the first $30,000 is going to convert at the valuation that I get that I still haven't even raised on. So at a very small discount. So that first $30,000 I want to just focus in on because when I graduated from college and I graduated from college in 2009, Lehman Brothers fell my senior year. And I was fortunate to be one of eight undergrads to get a, a job at Deloitte Federal, at Deloitte Consulting. And my cousin at my graduation gave me a book called Get a Financial Life. And it was very prescriptive. It didn't explain how or why. It just said, when you get your first $3,000, you should put it in an S&P 500 index fund and open up a Vanguard account. So I got an $8,000 sign-on bonus. So half of that went away for taxes. I spent $800 at Banana Republic because I had no clothes. I had 400 and some odd dollars in my bank account when I graduated from college. And I put $3,000 in an S&P 500 index. And I worked in corporate America for the next like 10, 15 years. And I had always put half of my bonus into these index funds. And that's how I was able all these years later to put $30,000 into Hadley. And I would say that that kind of parallels why I'm so big on 529s because and just saving in general, putting money aside for other people, work for the next 10, 15 years. And then you have this money that you can't have some liberty and God forbid if there's an emergency, it's just this money that has appreciated so much. So what I would say to all people is you can expand your opportunities to pursue a calling or pursue an opportunity if you yourself are able to save for it. Because a lot of investors will ask, have you put money into this? It's so much more powerful to say, hey, look, I'm not from a fancy, fancy background. I really believe in this. I don't have that much money, but I'm willing to part with $30,000 to start with. And by the way, that first 30K was to get going with a compliance firm. But yeah, putting in that first 30K adds to your ability to then later fundraise. And then when you do fundraise among family, angels, I mean, my boss at work, I had to disclose that I had formed a company and I was working on something. And she ultimately invested some money into it because I was able to show to her that this was a real problem that I was solving. So being able to save some money on the side so that you can pursue a thing is important. And then as you fundraise, use that as validation for your idea. If you're not getting a second call or if even your closest supporters who want to see you succeed is telling you, hey, this doesn't seem like a great idea. Use that as feedback that perhaps you shouldn't lean further into it if it's that hard to raise among your biggest supporters. So I would really urge people to pay attention and not just keep their head in the sand and bulldoze their closest supporters to support this thing if they're hesitant to invest in it. The other thing I would say real quick is be as scrappy as possible and be conversational with everyone. I would go while I was hitting people up locally and people that were close to my orbit, my boss at work. I also took advantage, and I'll share this anecdote. I was on a plane. I was coming from Arkansas and there was a woman next to me and the guy behind us was coughing on us. And I asked the woman next to me, if she wanted a mask and she said no. And then like 15 minutes later, 
She asked for a mask. And then we started talking when they came by with drinks and she asked what I did. I explained. Turns out she went to law school at the same place where I went to college. And then she said, oh, this is cool. I'm going to put you in touch with another person who went to our school who's in San Antonio. And I said, sure. And I talked to him and it turns out he was thinking about joining, but knows people in that San Antonio angel group called the Alamo Angels. So I talked to the community manager of Alamo Angels after I connected with this person. So there's like all these conversations I'm having. Airplane person, friends of airplane person, community manager of the organization, airplane person's friend might want to go to. And then the community manager said, why don't you come down to San Antonio pitch? And that was a gut-wrenching decision. I think Dave was like super involved with my like me agonizing over this. I think at this point I had $25,000 in the bank account. It would have probably cost about $800 to go do a round trip to San Antonio for two days. And it's time too. And I wound up getting their investment, but that's what I mean. Like you, for me, like you have to talk to everyone as you fundraise and, and you're talking, learn what people are responding to. So you can refine that airplane getting coughed on elevator pitch. Amazing anecdotes as always, Yosh. Thank you. Part of that too, right? When you're, when you're putting a, a, a big part of your own money into this, right? That's, you know, that you've saved for a rainy day. You know, there's risk there for you personally. And then every investor, I'm sure after you, is concerned about the risk to their investment, right? But for you up front, like where you took that first 30K and put it into compliance, not like you read a, an Eric Reese book or blog post and you end up with this idea of like, well, all that first money should go to like validating customers. I'm curious what you did to de-risk this situation for yourself a little bit as you were taking that initial leap to say like, I'm going to put this money with lawyers instead of building something. What were the things that you did to prove to yourself that this was a place that was worth putting your hard-earned money? Yeah. Um, so a few things. A, it all worked out perfectly. I'm going to start there and I'm going to end there too. Like I wouldn't change a thing between the burger of that sandwich that is going to be, that was the wrong way to use my first 30K. I'm going to go into the detail. So to answer the question, I de-risked it by surrounding myself with as many smart people who shared my passion for making this a success for our country. And I will tell you that one of the first steps before we met was I had to come up with a prototype. That was something that Google was telling me. That is something that my friend who works in IT in Silicon Valley was telling me. That's what everyone would tell you. Like you should start a prototype. And I got connected to a guy who said, I'll build your prototype for 15K, but then it became 25K and he wanted equity. And I'm a first time founder. I'm an accidental founder. So I had to Google what is equity. And then Amazon was like, here's a book that business school students typically read and it's called Venture Deals. So I bought Venture Deals off of Amazon and I'm still, it's on my desk right now. This is 2020. I've been wanting to read this whole book now for almost three years. And I think I'm on chapter three still, but. Oh no, it's a great book. <laughs> I recommend the audiobook. Yeah. I'm not traveling this year on Thanksgiving. I'm being solo because I need to finish this book because I'm about to do a seed round and it's all about the terms and what to look for, et cetera. So yes, it's definitely going to be read. But in this book was talking about building a prototype in equity and 
this guy asking for equity for a prototype just seems a little bit off. And at the same exact time, I was chatting with my friend who I worked with at Deloitte, who I had no idea. I knew he went to Harvard Law School, but it turns out he works for Cooley and he works with startups. We're catching up. And then I'm reading this book, Venture Deals, and they mentioned Cooley a lot. So that piqued his interest. I explained what I was working on. Net-net, a couple of conversations later, they were willing to give a 20000 deferment to help me with the startup, get incorporated, et cetera. So I didn't know what any of these words meant. I didn't know what Cooley was. My parents were like, maybe it's a scam. I had to call up my lawyer cousin, Steve. Steve said, this is a wildly good thing that it's a 20K deferment that as long as they do a good effort, they might actually forgive if it never goes anywhere. At around the same time, I got an invitation from Illinois to pitch their five to nine director, which looking back, it's like a nothing meeting. Like I met now with two dozen treasurer offices. I'm meeting one later today, actually, with Massachusetts treasurer's office. But at the time, it was super exciting. And I knew I wanted to be uh, registered with the uh, SEC if I were going to be actually pitching them. I got invited to pitch them. And Cooley had mentioned, here are the three firms that we think you should work with from a compliance perspective to, you know, if you're going to go to these treasurer's office, and my, this is my unchecked assumption. If I'm taking this meeting, I want to be a buttoned up, cross my T's, dot my I's, like startup-y person that says, hey, I really want to democratize access to your 529 plan that you manage out of your treasurer's office. It turns out we should have only been registered. If, when you register as an investment advisor with the SEC, you have to be operational within three months. So we registered in early 2020, but then when we were about to launch the app in 2022, we got pinged by the SEC as part of a newly registered investment advisor audit from the from President Biden's initiative to audit newly formed RIAs. And they're like, you had to be, you had to have been operational within three months upon. And I said, well, but I had one month to remedy it, and we were live that month. So it all worked out and it was fine. But to answer your question about de-risking, you can de-risk all you want. But at the end of the day, if the SEC had pinged us and said, hey, we want to audit you maybe six months before, and we were six months out from launch, that would have been really problematic. So that's a huge risk that there are so many layers of risk. But at the end of the day, how I de-risked my first 30K was just having people way smarter than me who... I shared the full context of what I was working on so that we had a shared vision and a shared mission. And I would also say I'm least concerned for my 30K. I treat every investor's money way more than I do. I treat, even if it's a 5K or 25K or whatever, like the fact that I have close friends, the fact that I have former bosses, the fact that I have strangers that I met through a plain conversation, those are the monies that I I work really hard because. I view it as such an obligation to really fight to generate a return on other people's money. That's that's the that's what I'm de-risking every day. It's awesome to think about how you're kind of de-risking the business itself, but I'm also interested in this is a highly regulated industry that you're working inside of. And oftentimes when people are thinking about an MVP, they're thinking about something quick dirty that can go out and prove product market fit and just serve as a temporary until they can build the real big thing that they want to build. That's not really an option for Hadley, right? I'm wondering a little bit about how you recognize and then dealt with 
the regulations inside the industry while also needing that MVP to be really stable and you know give this reassurance of security. Yeah, there's a Casey Wilson movie called Ask Backwards, and I feel like that whole movie is my journey with Hadley. I mean, you have to really want to blast through mountains for your startup. And I think the question is, like, I had no background in finance. I had no background in technology. And I really had no background in startups. So this is a fintech startup. And as you pointed out, highly and hugely regulated. One of the first mountains I came across was that for me to do this app, I had to become a registered investment advisor and have federal coverage somehow. And you could do that through registering with the SEC. I mean, what? So I was on that call with Illinois with the treasurer's office. And they said, if you're going to be telling people that they should enroll in a 529, which by the way, every American should, you had to become a registered investment advisor. I could have spent so much time looking for a partner or co-founder who already had that credential that I can use and incorporate in building Hadley. But then the amount of time and stress of putting your eggs in someone else's basket, I said, why can't I just do it? So I Googled I came across the Series 65. I got the test prep book off of Amazon. And I think that's like a good litmus test that anyone who's thinking about starting their own business should take. That if there is this big blocker in your way, do you blast through it or do you kind of shrink in front of it? And I wanted to show my commitment to this thing by saying, yeah, I then sat for an exam for three hours with a mask on. I became an SEC registered investment advisor. It is highly and hugely regulated which does make everything more complex. Like for example, every copy that all copy, whether it's in the app or the website has to go through a compliance review, that level of detail. And you have to be that serious. And for me, it was a great guardrail because I don't take the burden of helping all communities, especially the most vulnerable communities in our country access savings for their retirement and education lightly. Like I want to make sure that I'm doing right by them. So getting the right credentials, building the right product, getting a product that is compliant in the eyes of the SEC. We passed our SEC exam just as we were launching, I think speaks to the level of grit and resourcefulness and tenacity anyone needs to have, regardless if your industry is highly and hugely regulated. And you are right that it inflates the cost because now you have a compliance cost. Mike Cooley had to review user terms before we launch. I'm a registered investment advisor but I don't collect advisory fees. So this is a new business model that has never been pioneered before that Hadley's on the vanguard for. And so all this is new stuff that is, has to go through all these legal compliance regulatory reviews. So if it is highly regulated, view that as a high barrier for entry and then connect with as many people to build a coalition so that you can pool your resources to build that MVP that satisfies and exceeds those compliance and regulation measures. Um, that's That would be my advice that treat it as, okay, if you're in the space that you really care about and it's highly and hugely regulated, okay, that's a mountain you're gonna have to blast through. If you don't have the resources to blast through that mountain, think through what partners exist that can help you. Think through if there are any grants or organizations that provide capital or organizational support and work with them to meet and exceed those regulations so you could and can have an MVP in such a market. So as we talk about you know, paths for founders, the path is often from one sort of hurdle of funding or milestones to the next. 
for you with Hadley, you know, you're not taking fees on people's transactions and the business to consumer sales approach is often sort of high volume, low margin, which means lots of fundraising. I'm curious how you're approaching your path towards fundraising, what your path towards revenue is, and whether you're considering different models or how you're thinking about it as a first-time founder. Right. First, I want to say Hadley is free to download. If you already have a 529 account, you can link it. So anyone can send money to it. There are no monthly user fees. There is a fee for every transaction. It's $1.49 for contributions less than 150. And then it becomes a 1% fee that gets capped at $20. So how we're looking to monetize, I'm going to put a pin in it because we're still uh, socializing and testing different revenue models. But I will share with you that for fundraising, it's tricky because we are a for-profit public benefit court. So my approach has been go through accelerators and incubators. So I went through the Interplay incubator. Incubators and accelerators, I think, are really helpful for founders, especially first-time founders. And they have been able to connect me with VCs. And the way I'm approaching these conversations is I will totally take your money. But in case you're going to reject me, I'm going to pretend like I'm just previewing this seed round. And oh, by the way, if you're saying that you want to passively invest on my existing pre-seed safe, at the end of the day, I've been treading on a three to six month runway since I started doing this thing, like nonstop. So all I've been doing is raising and building a product that making sure all the, the regulations are met. So it's been a lot of, um, a lot of plates that I'm spinning. So the, the strategy I've employed is figuring out if the check size is going to be for a seed or if it's going to be like a 25K check size, in which case it's more angel or on the pre-seed save. And it's just constant fundraising. I have found through the transactions that we're able to support and sustain our business operations if we have more people using Hadley and making contributions. So thinking through consumer features that's going to drive those contributions, whether that's setting up recurring payments or doing change roundup features, which we've already scoped out and hope we build. But then thinking more through what are some of the other businesses that would want to pay Hadley for opening 529 accounts. And that's the, the revenue path that I think is going to be more profitable for Hadley. And that's the, the messaging that's been more resonant with prospective investors. But really focusing on which kind of investor has been this, the work stuff of 2023 for me. So I'm getting closer and closer to finding VCs that are supporting social enterprises that are for profit and changing business models to make the market work better for all Americans, especially uh, underserved Americans. And when more people use Hadley, it makes it easier to fundraise. And the more transactions we're able to make on Hadley, the more revenue we're able to make. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I know folks who work at ActBlue, and that's a very similar sort of model, right? They have a ability to do a good thing by channeling donations to organizations that people want to support, but then they're taking that either roundup or donation along with the transaction and then some transaction fees that makes a good business. So it's very interesting. Thanks. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. I think my whole point and mission behind Hadley is how do we get a world where it's just easier and even fun to save for your own and other people's lives, inclusive of education and retirement. 
and in some cases, healthcare expenses. So how do you look through the lens of the 529 market, not in shareholder capitalism, but stakeholder capitalism, and then define who are the stakeholders? The family and the community should be the center of that ecosystem of stakeholder capitalism. And then how do you make it easier for the family unit to save and lessen the burden? And that's involving 529 providers, of course, but businesses and media and so many other players who have a vested interest in seeing our country have more healthcare workers, more teachers, more electricians, more skilled, productive, happy workers in this country. Like every American would want to see that and would benefit from that. So how do we get more people into the world of helping others and themselves save more? I love that. I love everything about that. And it's, it rings so true. And, you know, having known you for a while now, Yosh, I wouldn't expect anything else. I want to give you an opportunity to talk. You've hinted a little bit earlier on about some tools, groups, uh, ways that you've kind of filled in as a solo founder, as an accidental solo founder. You know, you've mentioned working with Interplay, obviously, Tanuki. I know that you're probably one of the most active founders that I know in terms of going out and uh, making connections, the uh, presidential leadership scholars among them. What would you, what kind of advice would you give other founders as they're coming at this, how to fill those gaps? First, I would say, make sure it's something that you love and you know that you love it because you wake up at 5.30 in the morning because you're excited to work on it. I view that as like, I'm forever grateful that I found this for my family and that the next thing I did after I found out how to save for my niece Hadley, I wanted to call my friend Rachel and then my friend Dina to be like, okay, you guys are having, ba you guys are having babies, like open these things. Like I want to just call everyone. So the first thing you need to have is this is the thing I want to do and or it just feels right or the thing I want to do for now. And it's your calling and it, it naturally wakes you up at 5.30 in the morning because when you do talk to people, I don't realize when people tell me like, oh, I love your passion. Like that's the feedback that I get a lot from VCs uh, when they especially turn me down. They're like, keep in touch. We really admire your passion, tenacity. Like I don't register that I'm passionate or tenacious about this thing. Like it's just organic to talk about this because I care about it. So that I don't register it, I think speaks to that it's in my fiber. How I filled in the holes of being a solo founder for me, it's all about building relationship capital. I think that's what, looking back, is the best way to describe it. CRC, my compliance firm, and I talk about Tanuki as like the two anecdotes of what to look for in a partner. Because when I put 30K in and I was looking for a compliance firm to help me with the SEC registration, my lawyers gave me a list of three firms. I met with the first two. Um, they both were men who said, only I can do it and it's going to cost $19,500. The second guy said, only I can do it and it's going to cost $19,500. The third guy, Mitch, we connected. He said, hey, here's the thing. Everyone's going to say only they can do it, but anyone can do it. And by the way, my cost is $19,500, but I understand what you're building. It's different and really unique. I don't want price to be a barrier to work with you. I will lower my price so long as we can grow when you grow. And that without knowing to look for it, and so fortunately, the, that was my first 30K. That was my first 
contract that I signed to pay someone to do something with Hadley, I learned to look for people who were so excited to enroll in the vision with me. And when I went through Interplay, the incubator, they were great. And they gave me a list of three different vendors. The first two felt like vendors to me. And then Tanuki was on that list. And that just felt like a partnership. And apparently you're not supposed to do this, but I shared with Dave how much money was in my bank account. I just was like, this all sounds good. I know that there's a lot that I don't know. There could be all these extra costs, like SEC registration. It's not just a one and done. Every year you have to pay like close to $40,000 in, in just registration fees. Just sharing how much was in my bank account and just being radically transparent and treating Dave not just as a CTO for hire, but my CTO maximizes everyone's chance for success. Like Tanuki only wants Hadley to be a really big company. Even if I have a whole tech team in-house, I would be a company of Tanukis that like you could be so proud of. Just really broadening the tent and making success shareable is so important, especially as a solo founder, because you need to enroll people to the vision and to the mission. And I made every mistake that happened to be really helpful. Like I didn't know what I was doing when I named it Hadley and I put butterfly wings on the logo. The butterfly wings represent my grandma. Hadley is because it was my niece. But what I didn't realize I was doing was I was making it about something bigger. I was making about everyone's nieces and everyone's family and helping all families. And that is the type of vision that I think is more accessible for other people to get excited about when you don't name something after yourself or make it all about oneself. Like if it's all about helping others and then letting people share in the success, I think it's really critical to fill in the holes, especially as a solo founder. That's that's all beautiful, Yosh, and and yeah, to you know the the vulnerability of sharing what's in your bank account. Uh, I, I I hear is, I mean, it's obviously like something that feels uncomfortable, but at the same time, just the transparency of like this is where our boundaries are. I think is quite helpful in understanding like there's an outcome that needs to exist. Maybe there's a lot of ways to get there, and finding the way that most best aligns with your company's resources, needs, everything, you know, so like having that close relationship where we could talk about those things, I think has really helped, uh, you know, in a number of facets along the way. If I can just reflect on it for other first time founders, you know, you said you're not supposed to do that. And I would say, in a you know, Machiavellian zero sum game. Sure. But ultimately the right type of partners are going to be looking to fit your needs. And some folks really want to get brand right. They want to spend $100,000 working with branding firms and get their logo and their domain and all of that stuff. And, and a firm who hears them and knows what they want and knows their capabilities will do that with them. And another founder you know, has self-funded with 30K and needs to get the entire prototype built for that. And unless you're honest, they won't know how to fit. So for us, you know, of course, it was a, you know, we heard the story and thought, okay, we can really help and fit. But I would advocate for that transparency and for being radically vulnerable with the vendors and partners you work with, because yeah, otherwise people just won't know how to fit their skills to what you actually need. Eric, that is 100% right. When Dave said it could be uncomfortable sharing your bank account, I felt more comfortable when I did that immediately because I'm providing 
full context. You know your business and how much things are going to cost more than I do because I've never built an app before. Yeah, if you feel uncomfortable sharing these details, especially when it comes to scoping and budgeting for your build, then maybe I would just say to those founders, really rethink that because then what's the point? You don't want to ask for goodwill and trust when you've already burnt it or when you hit things from a partner's view. That's why I, I do tell people, just share. It, I don't call it being vulnerable because I say what it is, is you, everyone, and especially founders, we have a ton of insecurities and we have a lot of securities, things that we are secure about. If you're insecure about your insecurities, like how much money you have in your bank account, that could be really toxic to projecting like you have Theranos, like you have this thing that works and you're insecure about your insecurities. There's so many stories of startup founders who are insecure about their insecurities and then the whole thing blows up. But if you could be secure about your insecurities, that's that's the real winner in my mind where I don't have a lot of money and I don't have a lot of connections to VC, especially in 2021 when we were starting to work together. Now that has changed a lot because I am secure about my insecurities. You do ask for help. You do share what you have and you share what you think you need. But when you share what you have and where you are, usually the other person who's been in their seat a lot longer than you has more context and can direct you to the better path quicker. And that has happened on the Hadley journey for me multiple times. That's, you know, once again, great advice. And uh, Yosh, in this conversation, you've shared just tons of great advice. And so thank you so much for sharing your journey with us here. And I think I'm certainly constantly inspired by, by hearing your story and just, and just hearing you express all this stuff. We've gone through a lot and really appreciate your time. And as we kind of wrap up and come to the end, there's one question we like to ask everyone. And the question we ask is, what is if you had one piece of advice to give a starting out new founder, what would that be? <sighs> this is a great question. If I have one piece of advice for someone who is just starting out as a founder, I would say just build the coalition, a coalition of supporters, but also of everyone in your ecosystem and think through the way you partner. And I would say, look at all the people who have a high interest in what you're doing and who have a high impact to help you. And these could be people you would might perceive as, oh my gosh, if they heard my idea tomorrow, they would steal it and they would build it and they would run really fast. So I want to avoid them like the plague. And you might want to rethink those assumptions because those are people who might be an incumbent institution and you don't know that maybe on their Monday meeting that a big thing that they have to think through is how do we solve this problem and we don't have the resources in this big incumbent institution to quickly redress the systemic gap in this market that we serve. So you want to come further along and come prepared, but that's just the way I view of if you're going to start out, you can't do it alone. You have to build a coalition and a way to find the right partners of the coalition or really effective partners is to make sure that they have a high impact or a high ability to affect an impact in what you're doing and that they have a high interest in, in what you're doing, that they care about it. Sure, you can filter it out with people who want to see you succeed or people who want to see you. They have a high interest to seeing you not succeed 
or high interest to seeing you succeed. Don't worry about the succeed or not succeed, but do they have a high interest in seeing what you do? That's just one way to assess and evaluate potential partners. But even the mom you meet at a barbecue that you're explaining your idea to, she's a strong partner in your coalition because she'll validate your idea if it's good or not, if she can understand it or not, if it's a consumer facing app. But definitely build a coalition. And what I'll share with any founder is getting the right partner is super important. Tanuki has been that in spades for Hadley. And I can say that because we went mm-hmm. through another developer that used offshore engineers. And not that, that that's bad. Tanuki is a really good example of finding a partner who they share the mission and vision and they have a high ability to affect the impact of building this thing. So Tanuki like, is one of my big coalition partners, as you mentioned, Dan, the presidential leadership scholars. The 529 policy happens to be a policy that was enacted through Senator McConnell and Senator Graham, who was a Democrat senator from Florida, been passed through President Clinton. And every presidential administration since President Clinton, including President Trump and President Biden, have broadened and expanded what 529s can do and be used for. So going to those presidential centers, especially the Clinton Library and the Bush Center, they have a vested interest in democratizing access to the very policy that Presidents Bush and Clinton had formative hands in shaping. So I know this is the longest answer to the wrap-up question, but the one bit of advice I'd give any founder is you can't do it alone. And because of that, find a coalition of partners who care and who can deliver. The real startup is the friends we make along the way. <laughs> yes, just gonna say that it's true though it's absolutely true it really is and yosh uh again i'll, I'll reiterate dave here thank you so much for joining us i love that answer i you know we've had so much fun talking with you today um tell us where can people find you where can people find hadley is there anything else that you want to let folks know about uh raising around got a talk coming up anything anything on the calendar no current talks. Please find me on LinkedIn. I'm Nola Yosh Miller. I'm also on Instagram at Hey Yosh Miller. I tell founders all the time, my resources are your resources. Download Hadley, please, on the App Store. Set up recurring contributions to someone you love to save for their future. Set up recurring contributions to your own 529 account, even if you're not going to go to school because Money in your 529 account can go into your Roth. And that's just, you know, retirement savings when you take out, it's protected from any further taxation. And so it really behooves all of us to try to save in a Roth for our retirement. And now we all can, regardless of income, if you put the money first through a 529 account. So I would ask everyone download the app, uh, tell your family and friends about it, especially with holidays around the corner and graduation season after that. And thank you, Tanuki, for being really an incredible partner. You're more than just my CTO for hire firm. I could not have done this certainly as well and as fast without you and your support and your encouragement and your friendship. So thank you so much. Yeah, we've got a long road together ahead too. Yes. Thank you, Yosh. If you enjoyed this conversation, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's something that you're looking to build, feel free to reach out at podcast.tanukilabs.com and I'll be in touch. Thank you so much for listening. Talk again soon.